And so, title of the sermon this morning is, is Austin had talked about it real quickly in Children's Church, and that's what they're talking about this morning up there as well. Doubt can lead to what? Doubt can lead to belief. And people will look at this and they'll say, Brother Donnie, that is the craziest thing that I've ever heard. But let's be honest, if we are all telling the truth about our walk with Jesus, we started where? In doubt. We started in disbelief. We didn't understand, we didn't know. And so I found this quote this week that I think talks a lot about where we're heading. Benjamin Franklin once said, Believe none of what you hear and only half of what you of what you see. Now I want you to think about this. There's several advantages to what Benjamin Franklin said. Well, one, that type of motto can steer us away from gossip. We don't need to be involved in gossip, amen? Lots of times we find ourselves right in the middle of gossip. It can keep us from being gullible. And at the same time, it can keep our creative imagination from running wild when we honestly mistake a bear standing up on its hind legs for a seven-foot Sasquatch. Amen? So if we, we live by this, we can see some of the advantages of what Benjamin Franklin was saying. But I want to ask you this question. What happens when we take this type of motto and apply it to our faith. Let's reread the quote. Believe none of what you hear, and only half of what you... What happens when we decide, well, that's going to be my spiritual walk? Because that means everything that I'm hearing, or everything that I'm preaching today, you're going to take that and not what? not believe it. So this is a dangerous motto. This can be a, a, a dangerous situation when it comes to our spiritual walk. Because think about this, spiritual doubt leads to atheism. We know this is true. Lacking belief in the existence of a God. Or agnosticism, one who's not committed to believing in either the existence or the non-existence of God. Spiritual doubt also leads to a hard what? It can lead to a hard heart. Spiritual doubt also leads to missed blessings. Spiritual doubt leads to missed evangelistic opportunities, misfellowship, growth in the church, and spiritual doubt can lead to a belief, unless we see it, I won't what? I won't believe it. There's a disciple in the book of John chapter 20 that many of us in here are probably very familiar with, or at least we are familiar with his name. And what is his name? Well, his name is Thomas. And most of us know him as what? Doubting Thomas. And it's kind of funny because many people without biblical knowledge have heard of a doubting Thomas. Thomas, even Webster's Dictionary, describes this person as a doubting Thomas, as someone that is habitually doubtful. You ever been around somebody like that? Somebody that is habitually doubtful, somebody that's always having bouts with doubt, someone that never can cling to something that is real, something that is positive. Maybe they'll say, well, I'm a realist. Maybe they'll say, I'm a negative, a negative person. Whatever they want to claim of who they are, but everything that they totally usually are, are, are involved with in their life, there is a certain degree of what? Of doubt. 
But I want you to understand, Thomas wasn't always like this. See, Thomas was a disciple. Jesus had chose Thomas. Thomas was loyal to Jesus. In John chapter 11, it says, Therefore Titus, who was Didymus, said to his disciples, Let us all go so that we may die with Jesus. So what happened to him? I think this is the thing all of us want to know. When you meet somebody that's always doubting, the question you have in your mind is, what happened to you at some walk in your life? Well, why did his faith take such a downhill approach when all the other disciples were on a high according to our scripture this morning? Well, this morning I'm going to give you some examples of how doubt can lead to faith or a renewed faith even in times of misunderstandings and fear. So here's what happened to doubting Thomas. Look at your scripture, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 28. So it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, For the fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins be forgiven them. Now, here's what starts to come into play with Thomas. Look at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, Put my finger into the place of the nails. Put my hand into his side. I will not what? I won't believe. After eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came. The doors had been shut. He stood in their midst and he said, peace be with you. That's the third peace he had said. And then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but what? Believing. And then Thomas answered, and he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great day that you've made. Lord, thank you for the sunshine. Father, thank you for the church family that we've, that's here today. Those that are home, Lord, listening to us. Father, we miss them this morning as well. Father, we thank you for the music. Father, we thank you that we can come in and give of our gifts and give of our time to serve one another. But Father, now is the time to not just hear your word, Father, but to apply your word. Father, we know that we live in, in, in a state, uh, we, we live in a, in a culture, Father, where there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of doubts. There's a lot of unbelief, Lord. And so, Father, I, I pray this morning that you will remove that stone. 
Father, I pray that you'll roll, roll away the doubt and that people can come this morning and they can know Jesus for exactly who he is as the Son of God and as their Savior. And so, God, I pray this morning as the Holy Spirit is already moving, dear Lord, that, Father, you are planting seeds, God. Father, you are encouraging people, Lord. Father, you are, are already at work, dear God. And so, Father, as we read this word this morning, Father, I pray people will quit being the unbelieving, but, Father, they will join the believing. So, Lord, we pray this prayer this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said what? All of God's people said amen. So before we go forward with Thomas, there's a, there's a few things that I think that we need to really understand about this man. Uh, you know, before we ever even get in to verse 25, we need to understand Thomas was already an emotional mess. Thomas had given up everything he had in this life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Thomas loved Jesus, but he became scared like the rest. He became confused like the rest. He worried that his life would be taken. Matter of fact, I'm sure Thomas worried that the next life that may have been on the cross would have been his what? Would have been his very own. Yes, they had seen miracles. Yes, they had seen healings. They had even seen a man that had been dead for four days, raised back to life by Jesus. But their surroundings, their surroundings and their lack of understanding, it cast doubt into exactly who Jesus Christ was. And let's be honest, we're living in that same culture today. Amen? We're living in that same culture today. Most people, now Christianity is the minority. And so if Christianity is the minority, then that means doubt is reigning supreme. That means people are not putting their trust in Jesus. That means people are putting their trust in who? Themselves. And how does that work out for us? It don't work out. So as a pastor, I encounter people who have faith. But many times their doubts seem to stare their faith instead of their faith staring their doubts. I witness people coming to Jesus with their issues and with their problems, and it seems in the back of their mind they, they know that Jesus can do great things. They know that Jesus can do marvelous things in their life, but for some odd reason their doubt takes over and it seems to tell themselves or convince themselves that Jesus just can't handle my what? My problems. My issues. My past failures. There's no way that Jesus can be worried about my salvation. My forgiveness. My restoration. But here's the key, and all of us need to understand this this morning, church. Jesus wasn't just a man. Amen? Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus is the risen Savior, the Son of God. And if Jesus can overcome death, if Jesus can overcome the grave, then Jesus can help you overcome your fears. He can overcome your doubt with bout. That's what Jesus does. And I want you to look at verse 24. The Bible tells us in verse 24 that Thomas was not what? He wasn't there that day. Thomas was not with the dudes. He wasn't with the bros, amen? He wasn't with the group. Thomas was not there that day when Jesus came on that first Easter Sunday. And we don't know where Thomas was. 
But this is where your sermon outline begins this morning. You ready? Here's one thing we do know. Thomas missed out on the Christ-risen what? Encounter. He missed out that day. Thomas was not with the others when Jesus made his supernatural appearance to the disciples on the evening of the first day of the week. So I want you to think about this, church. You ready? Thomas wasn't there when Jesus suddenly appeared in their midst, even though the doors had been what? Shut down. He wasn't there that day. Imagine how the disciples felt all of a sudden. Here's Jesus. Well, how'd you get in here? I'm Jesus. I didn't need an invitation. I can walk through what? I can walk through walls. Your walls mean nothing to me. I created them to begin with. Amen? So he missed out on that. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed him the nail-scarred what? The hands and the feet. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus breathed on him the promise of the coming what? Of the Holy Spirit. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus explained to them that they got to preach forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You know, think about this. A lot of times we miss out on Christ-filled encounters because we're not looking for Jesus to be there to begin with. That's people's problems. And I'm not saying they were having church that Sunday evening, but what I'm saying is, is that Thomas missed out on that first encounter because he didn't understand that he served a different kind of king. He didn't understand that he served a risen king. And you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we started coming to church with the expectations that Jesus was going to do something in someone's life every time that we walked through the doors or turned on the TV or we opened up the Word of God? Wouldn't that be amazing? And I realize, listen church, I'm not foolish. I realize that when you come here on Sunday morning, you're not going to see Jesus' nail-scarred hands. You're not going to see the nail-scarred feet. But could you imagine if people use the scars in their lives to tell others how Jesus has healed them? Amen? Could you imagine if people came and they would tell others how Jesus has restored them? Amen? Could you imagine if people came and they told others how Jesus has recreated them, forgiven them, and saved them? That's what people really want to know. Amen? That's what they want to see. How has this nail-scarred Savior that rose from the dead, how has He changed you? What has He done for you? And see, the disciples, the other ones, they already saw Jesus. They saw the nails. They saw the scars. They knew who he was. But Thomas was not what? He wasn't present. You know, a lot of times we come in here, we take a seat, we're present physically, but we're not present mentally. Amen? We're worried about what we're going to eat, worried about what we're going to do, worried about what we're going to see and experience throughout the day. And I'm telling you, this is the most important part of your day right now. Because nobody else in your life is going to do for you what Jesus has done for you. Nobody in your life is going to do for you what Jesus is going to do for you. Nobody in your life is going to bring you the happiness and the joy and the love that you're going to get from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody but yet we put it to the side. We act like it's not important. We act like it's something, well, I can get it tomorrow, I can get it Tuesday, I can get it Wednesday. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, into this morning, whether you are saved or whether you don't know Jesus, you do not have another day guaranteed to your life.
that you can sit here and be cocky, you can sit here and be smug, you can sit here and think, well, I'm 40 years old, i got all the rest of my life that I want to live. You do not have another day promised to you. But yet we think we're going to live what? We think we're just going to live forever. And because Thomas was not there that day, it led to the next level of doubt. Look at verse 25. Watch what Thomas says. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And so this is number two. Thomas denied what happened that day because seeing is what? Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. Now I want you to imagine yourself as Thomas that day you walk in, you hear that you have missed the greatest event that's ever taken place in Christianity. You've missed an event that could have changed your life. You missed an event that only a few had seen. Now, most people must see something before they believe it. We're all in this. And for Thomas, it was easier to deny what they had told him than facing the truth about himself. If you think about it, we're in a situation like that right now in our lives, aren't we? We can't see this virus that has stopped the world over the last 14 to 16 months, but we know it's there, right? Because of sickness, because of death. And of course, we know that it can be seen under a microscope. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Can't we also see God all around us? This is something that's been thrown out the door the last year and a half. We've lived in such doom and gloom, we've lost, we've lost our way. Can't you still see God all around you? God told Job in chapter 38, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? He says, tell me if you understand, Job. Where were you when I told the seas to what? To stop. Paul explained in Romans chapter 1, For since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. When you look into this great world, Romans chapter 1 says, you ought to be able to realize that there's a God. Amen? When you look around and you see the sun and the stars and the moon and you see the creation, you really think this all just happened because a planet collided with another one? You really think that we just crawled up out of a pond and become biological beings? You really believe that there wasn't a superior being that said, you know what, Adam and Eve, rise up out of the dust. Do you really believe that there's not a God that made you, that knows you, that loves you? Because whoever is telling you that does not exist, that's Satan and his army. Because they don't want you to know who Jesus is. They don't want you to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You know why? Because misery loves Company and Satan knows he's defeated to hell. That's what he knows. We can see the evidence of a virus, but can't we see the evidence of a God as well? See, this is where it all starts to sink in for Thomas. Thomas didn't want to face the fact that other testimonies were valid, so this is number three. 
Thomas's denial led to what? It led to stipulations. His denial led to stipulations. Thomas wanted the proof of what happened, right? Isn't this what we all want? We all want proof. You come home, you tell somebody something that they can't believe, they're going to tell you, I want some what? I want the proof, and the proof is in the what? Proof is in the pudding. So here's what he wanted. Number one, he said he wanted to see. He wanted to see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Number two, he said he wanted to place his finger where the nails were. It's a little bit odd, isn't it? It's like, Thomas, what have you been on here, brother? And then the third thing, he wanted to put his hand into the side of who? Of Jesus. Now, we can't blame Thomas for his disbelief. What he was asked to accept is beyond belief, right? So for Thomas not having that encounter with the risen Lord, this tale being told by the disciples is a bit unbelieving. Although Thomas had seen Jesus do the unbelievable way before Jesus had supposedly been in the midst of the disciples. And just like Thomas, pretend you've never heard the story of Jesus' resurrection. And one day after attending a funeral for a friend, someone comes up to you and, he, and, and says excitingly, you'll never guess who I saw at Walmart today. He looks great. Heck, he looks better now than he did before he died. Think how you would react to that. Think how, you, you, you know, you're thinking, well, you're either delusional or your imagination has gotten the best of you. Or maybe the person just looked familiar to the individual that has passed away. And I guess the question may be, how many in here would have been just like doubting Thomas? Right? Throughout the years, Thomas has become the scapegoat for the church, which sometimes says that doubt is wrong. But sometimes, doubt is just the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes it's just the start. See, the only difference between Thomas and the rest of that group at this point is that they had saw Jesus' face after the resurrection. And Thomas had not. Now some will say that Thomas had lost his faith in Jesus. But I'm not so sure. Thomas didn't say that he didn't believe in Jesus. He just said, I don't believe unless his stipulations were met. Some of you all have heard of Lee Strobel. I've got some good books by Lee Strobel in my office. Lee Strobel, he, he once said... There are three kinds of people in the church. Those who are struggling with doubt right now. Those who have no doubts now, but will struggle with them in the future. And those who have no doubts and never have doubts because they're basically brain dead. He said those are the three types of people in the church. And see, here's the point. If we have faith in Jesus... There's going to be times in our life that we struggle with doubt. There are going to be times in our life when God just does not fit into the box anymore. There's going to be times in our life when something happens and we're going to question why God let something happen. There's going to be times in our lives when, when, when something as we view as horrible happens in our lives or our, or our families and we're going to break down and we're going to ask God why. I've heard people say, oh, if you're a true believer or a true follower, you're never going to sin, or you're never going to have doubts. 
Well, if you read Paul's epistles, if you read James, if you read 1 John, Scripture written to believers in Jesus, you will see that Christians were still dealing with sinfulness and doubt. But God can use that doubt to make us what? Stronger. God can use our doubt to make us wiser and to propel us to be more than we already are. And watch what happens. Look at verse 26. After eight days, the disciples were in the house again. Guess who's with them now? Guess who's with them now? Thomas is with them this time. One day passes, no Jesus. Two days, no Jesus. Three, four, five, six, seven, no Jesus. Can you imagine what kind of week Thomas must have had and the emotions that Thomas had been dealing with? And then finally, after eight days, suddenly without warning, Jesus appears in their midst once again. The doors had been locked once again. And you guys ever notice that Jesus can do that to all of us? I mean, when our doubts get the best of us, when we shut our hearts out to Jesus, when we're angry, when we're hurt, when we feel alone and abandoned, when sin's in control of our life and we can't find a way out, when life is just failing, all of a sudden Jesus has a way of coming through the door when we least expect it. Amen? And how many times have people said, unless God does, I will not believe. How many times have we heard that? And I don't know why Jesus chose to put himself in the presence of Thomas that day, but he did. And it says in verse 26, he addressed them all, but his attention turned straight to who that day? It turned straight to Thomas. And I can only imagine what he was thinking. Oh, they were telling the what? They were telling the truth. He's been resurrected. I'm sure he's coming my way to tell me that there's no room in peop for people like me in where? In heaven. But I want you to watch what Jesus does in verse 27. This leads to point four. Thomas may have touched Jesus, but it's Jesus who touches Thomas what? Spiritually. Jesus touches Thomas spiritually. Notice Jesus doesn't respond with anger, does he? He, he doesn't look at Thomas with, with, with harsh words, but he responds what was on the heart of Thomas that day. He allowed Thomas to touch him. And then he addressed the issue of doubt. See, Thomas may have touched Jesus, but Jesus touches Thomas, and he says, stop doubting and just what? Thomas, believe. Stop doubting and just believe. Listen, there's going to be times in our lives when doubt is healthy. Amen? Can I cross a two-lane highway before the car running 90 runs over me? That's a good thing to have. Can I put on a cape and jump from my roof to the next roof? That's a good doubt to have, right? Or maybe you see an internet site saying that Elvis and Michael Jackson were seen at a retirement home in Arizona last week starting a new praise band, Billy. That's probably a good doubt to have. But there is more than enough reason to believe that Jesus has risen. Amen? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 6 that He appeared to more over to more than 500 people at one time after His resurrection. 
See, doubt is not negative until it leads you to believe in what Jesus has done for each of us or leads you to believe that what he has done is not for each of us. And that's exactly what Jesus was warning Thomas about that day. Jesus was saying, Thomas, you're acting like a person that has no faith. You're acting like a person without faith. Stop it. And what? Believe. And this is our final point. You ready? Thomas's doubt turns from disbelief to confessing the truth of the gospel as he says what? My Lord and my God. Thomas goes from one demanding evidence to one declaring the truth of the gospel. Jesus told him. He says, because you've seen me, you believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet what? Believed. Let me ask you this morning, are you still dealing with doubts about who Jesus Christ is to you and to your life? Are you still dealing with the bouts of is he real or is it just a myth? Are you still dealing with the doubts? Can he really forgive me of my sin? Can he really change the direction of my life? Well, before we close, I'm going to give you three things real quickly that I think that can help you some this morning. Number one, it's okay to acknowledge you have doubts, amen? It's okay to acknowledge. I mean, I would never want somebody coming to me and saying, Brother Donnie, I want to know about Jesus, but I've got so many doubts, I feel inferior to ask you a question about Jesus. No! Don't ever feel that way, amen? I mean, if the men and women that was with him for three years had doubts, why is it not okay? For us to be able to be honest and to be truthful. Raising questions and having doubts is never the sign of a weak faith, but rather it's a sign of a growing faith. And then number two, turn to Jesus for help. Turn to Jesus for help. I want you to notice the first time that Christ appeared to Thomas and he was not with them for whatever reason, but the second time, where was Thomas? He was with fellow what? Believers. Thomas did not hightail it out of town because of his doubts. No, he put himself in a situation to understand his doubts. And guess what? It paid off. It paid off. It's okay to turn to Jesus for help. And then number three, be open to receive what God what? Be open to receive what God gives. What did Thomas need? He needed peace. The man had been running. How many of you all feel like you're just always running? You're just so, you, you, you don't know what to grab onto. You don't know what to grasp to. And so you grab one thing, it don't work. You grab another, it don't work. Well, this worked for a year. Well, now it doesn't. And so you always feel like you're just running from one thing to the next for your peace, for your hope. Boy, his doubts were leading him instead of his faith. But Jesus said to Thomas, and he said to all of us, do not be unbelieving, but be what? Believing. You know, there's a part of me that wishes that Jesus would just come right here this morning and stand right here in our midst. And for every single one of you all that's unbelieving, 
whether if you're here or if you're watching at home. I wish that Jesus would just stand here and say, okay, you come. Come, come touch it. Come see it. Come experience it. Whatever doubt you had, here I am. Well, you know what Jesus said? Blessed are those who believe, but have yet not what? Seen. Church, I want you to hear me this morning. Whether you're a Christian or you've never placed your faith in Jesus, listen to me real quickly. Are you ready? When you close your eyes and you breathe your last breath, it's too late. Do you understand that? When you close your eyes and you breathe your last breath, you're not going to get an opportunity to say, oh, it's Jesus. I believe now, Lord. Although I never trusted you, although I never believed you while I was living in the flesh, now I what? Now I see you, and so now I know that you're real and that you really are who you say you are. And Jesus is going to look at us and he's going to say, depart from me, I never. Brother Donnie, you saying Jesus sends people to hell? No, I'm saying you have the power. I'm saying you had the ability to believe or disbelieve. And all of this is on you. He looked at him that day and he said, stop unbelieving and just believe. This morning, that's the invitation. As Billy comes and we sing, this is your invitation. Maybe some of you have already put your faith in Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something, church. Over the last 14 to 16 months, I've seen a lot of Christians living with a lot of doubt. For some of you this morning, it's a time to come and rededicate your life to Jesus. Some of you this morning, it's a time to come and rededicate your life back to the church. For some of you this morning, maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe you have questions. That's why we're here, amen? Or maybe this is the day you want to come and place your faith in Jesus. Whatever your need is, will you come as we stand this morning?